the old pilot's plain tales. The Ian Palmer interviews, part one. Ian, it's uh, an absolute delight to uh, see you again, and thank you very much indeed for uh, allowing us to interview you. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's great to see you again, Nick. And uh, it's just going to be a fascinating series of interviews. So I think we should kick off. Now, you have had a by any measure a fascinating uh, life and career various careers so why don't we start off right at the beginning tell me about your early life and how you got into music yeah well I think I was always destined to get into music I come from a musical family Uh, I have two uncles who are drummers uh, two very different styles actually Uh, my dad's uh, my late father's middle brother Carl was a is, a is a rock drummer. It's quite well known. He played with the band Emerson, Lake and Palmer and uh, the band Asia afterwards. And my dad's youngest brother, so my youngest uncle, is Steve, who, Steve Palmer, who's a fantastic jazz drummer. So um, from a very young age, my family, certainly on my father's side, have been very involved with music. So it's always something that um, I've been around from a very, very young age. You obviously followed them into uh, the same career. You became a drummer. How did that happen? I, um, as I say, I was always around music. I've always had a passion for music. I got to the, I remember very specifically, actually, I got to the age of nine. And this one Christmas, my dad had a VHS video recording of Emerson, Lake and Palmer playing at the Montreal Olympic Stadium. And this was a big concert that they performed with a big orchestra. It was very, uh, it was a huge event. And in fact, the afternoon sound check of that event, they recorded the video for the single Fanfare for the Common Man, which was a single which Emerson, Lake and Palmer released. So I remember watching this v- VHS video and I remember watching Carl play this huge drum solo and I was like, wow, dad, that's what I want to do. And I, that was a moment for me where I thought, yeah, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to be a drummer and follow in the footsteps of my uncle Carl and of course my uncle Steve. Well, you obviously had some talent because uh, that went very well. Tell me about your early life uh, as a drummer. Well, Steve, um, Carl was always touring the world. Steve lived quite close to us. So Steve was fantastic because he used to come over and give me drum lessons and really sort of nurtured any God-given talent at 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 a young age. Um, but we always realized, uh, my dad was very sort of, this is what you're going to do for a career, son. We need to make sure, give you every opportunity to be um, as good as you can possibly be. So I had a fantastic, uh, some fantastic teachers in the early days. Um, I remember going off to New York and uh, flying on this big airplane to New York. And, uh, and I was really impressed with the airplane at the time as well. Um, but to take lessons with uh, a fantastic drummer who um, left us around about 10 years ago but uh, some of the listeners as viewers may know of him and his name is Joe Morello who for me is probably one of the finest technical drum or finest technicians on the drum set uh, of all time he had uh, fantastic hands and he was the drummer with the Dave Brubeck quartet actually and he recorded that famous uh, jazz single which I think was one of the only jazz uh, pieces to make it into the uh, charts uh, with a drum solo take five. Oh, oh yes I, I love that piece of music it's great yeah so I studied with Joe um, I also had the opportunity to play we, we always thought that I guess the perception was that to be a jazz drummer 
gave you the tools to play all different types of music. So at a very young age, I joined an orchestra in in the Birmingham area, which was um, at the time, well, it still is, is um, really quite highly regarded. It's the, the, the orchestra is called the Midlands Youth Jazz Orchestra. And the name really belies what the organisation is all about, because at a very young age, I joined this orchestra and had the opportunity to tour in the United States. We went to Russia and toured extensively throughout Europe, backing various artists. And from that group, actually, um, are a lot of my friends today who have gone on to become session musicians in London and indeed around the world. So it was a really good breeding ground for uh, the sort of the UK session scene, if you like. That's excellent. It opened doors mm. for you, for sure. No, it really did. What was it like then as uh, you began to get a bit older and um, you felt like branching out on your own? What did you end up doing? Yeah. Well, I got to the uh, I got to the age of um, just before uh, sixth form at school and uh, realised that, well, of course, I wanted a career in uh, in music. So my education, to be brutally honest, suffered, and so I put that to one side but I moved to London expecting the pavements to be lined with gold this was me going to London to make my mark well they they weren't <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> yeah so I arrived in London uh, a young man um, full of confidence that uh, this was it this was where I'm this is what I was here to do make my mark on the London scene and you know to a certain extent it went well but yeah. there were some huge pitfalls and uh, waiting for me there and some you know, massive hurdles uh, which would manifest themselves as we carried on, actually. What kind of music on who were you playing with at that time? Well, I had a... Um, I was, as I said, my background was in jazz, although in recent times, you know, I play all styles of music. You know, I class myself as a drummer, not a jazz drummer. But effectively, my background then was in playing jazz music. And I had a quintet, which we used to, which was a very contemporary jazz quintet featuring some fantastic musicians. There was the um, trumpet player who's he's now a, a a BBC broadcaster, um, Guy Barker on trumpet, um, Dave O'Higgins on tenor saxophone, a fantastic pianist called Dave Newton, and you probably will recognise the name Dankworth, um, John Dankworth's son, Alec Dankworth, on acoustic bass. And we had the opportunity to play at some lots of different jazz clubs. We did some TV appearances and uh, did, we recorded at um, the fabulous Ronnie Scott's where I played uh, on and off during my time in London, which was a great meeting place for musicians and a great place to network. Yeah, uh, you must have met some pretty well-established and famous people, particularly if you were playing at Ronnie mm. Scott's. You're going to drop a few names for us? Well, I did. I had the opportunity to, um, certainly in, in the jazz circles, was, was, was amazing. I had the opportunity. If I remember one experience, um, I was called to stand in, the drummer, um, on this run of gigs that Ronnie Scott's got sick. And I had the opportunity to play with um, Buddy Greco, who was famous you know, in the 60s. And um, his, one of his claims to fame was he was very, very close with the great drummer Buddy Rich. 
and um, he had a fearsome reputation and I remember going along to play this um, evening concert just standing in with Buddy Greco and it was a real learning experience actually because everyone said oh he's, he's got a terrible temper and uh, you know and I was getting really worried about this <laughs> and I showed up on the gig and it's one of those experiences where actually he was a real gentleman he was a really lovely person and I thought wow you know don't be judgmental don't be prejudiced towards this this was a fantastic experience and the concert went really well so um, so that was one memorable experience but oh there were lots of different people um, around that time I even uh, you you may know of um, in a slightly different area um, she's she's quite well known for being on cruise ships um, with Jane McDonald uh, where as soon as she sort of rose to fame with these reality TV programs around, that was sort of the birth of reality TV. I did, uh, I was on a, a Christmas DVD with Jane playing with a big orchestra and we had a really lovely uh, experience there touring. We played one night to a celebrity audience, which was on uh, BBC at uh, the Royal Albert Hall. Uh, which was amazing. Oh, wow, that must have been an experience. Yeah, amazing. There was the lovely uh, Barbara Windsor uh, was there, and there's lots of sort of the TV, um, the morning TV presenters at that moment. So it was really, really good. And then I sort of branched out more into the pop side of things and had friends who were involved in that. And uh, so there were quite a few experiences there. Um, So it really was a... um, it kind of leads nicely on to um, one of the hurdles that I suffered around that time. Yeah, that's, that's true. You were a very young man at this point still and away from your parents. I was away from my parents. I was 17, 18 years old. Um, you know, they described me as being quite precocious, I think was the expression. Um, and yeah, I was very, very very full of very full of myself very high on confidence but uh one of the problems that i well one of the things i discovered there um, which always made me feel better was alcohol that was the thing which really got me and i would be in my little um flat there i would be drinking with friends um but i realized that actually i didn't just like this uh I didn't just like this alcohol. I really loved it to the point where I actually couldn't stop drinking. So it was really quite a problem for me. Did you recognize the problem yourself? No, no, I I didn't. And this is one of the reasons now why a lot of the my CV and everything is on my website. But there's a lot of the things now I kind of struggle to remember certain things that happened in London around that time. Um, because I spent most of my time um, not on this planet, you know, drinking. So, yeah, I, re- I didn't realize it was so much a problem because I think around that time, certainly in the music industry, um, it was a, there was a huge drinking culture. So it was commonplace to drink. Um, I will say, uh, and I know we'll go on to talk about it, but I will say that actually that drinking culture seems to have um, dissipated somewhat now uh, in the in the music world. It's a far more professional environment. But at that time, yeah, I was um, uh, probably a better drinker than I was drummer, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, that's an interesting thing. Now, you may not have noticed it, but I gather some of your older friends uh, spotted it. 
Yeah, I had a, um, so my father was really, you know, trusting, I know friends would say to my mum and dad, how's Ian doing? Oh, he's doing fantastic. He's doing this, he's doing that. Um, you know, he's doing this TV performance. You can catch him doing this, catch him doing that. And they were really proud. And my dad you know, very, was, was a very proud person. And um, so it came as a total shock when a friend rang my father up and said, I think Ian's got a problem. And they were like, Right, and they—I think they were, must have been in denial, um, because at the time, you know, I was drinking so much. I will say that I had at one point, and there was no need financially for me to do this, but I had a, um, I had a, had a really lovely postcode as well, um, and that postcode where I was living for about ten days was um, W1D oh. in the West End of London, yep. and it was a doorway of Marks and Spencers. <laughs> Hang on a minute. Mm. You slept in the doorway of Marks and Spencers? Yeah, I had 10 days there where I thought I fell in with a certain crowd and I thought this was really cool. And there was certain musicians who had done some pretty wacky things around that time. And I actually thought, you know, the more kind of more outrageous I was, in a way, made me more rock and roll And at that time. And I didn't really know what I was doing. But I, you know, I didn't have uh, any. I was, so I was effectively homeless. Is what uh, was what the problem was. And they always say about alcohol that it will take everything. It will take those people away around you, and it will eventually take your life. And it started to do that. Wow! How, how did the realization come to you that you needed to do something? Um, well, the realization came in the form of my father coming uh, along and finding me and saying, son, you need to come, you need to come back home. This music is, is not working. This musical career is really not working out for you. Um, you need to consider uh, a different career, I think. Um, and he was right to a certain extent, music wasn't working for me. But ultimately, as I came to realize, the problem was between my ears. So matter, no matter where I went to another career, you know, I could have become a doctor. I could have become anything potentially, but the problem would never have gone away, as was proven. That's interesting. But you did try a, a different career and mm. this was an attempt to break the cycle, as it were. Uh, what happened? How did you mm. move on? So... My uncle Steve, so my dad's youngest brother, had a very close friend who was um, an airline pilot who, who we both know, actually, who um, worked for a long-haul airline in the UK. And I had the opportunity then at the end of... Um, to try and get away from music. And this was pre-9-11, 2001. I had the opportunity to sit on the jump seat and... This was on a, an old Boeing 747-200, uh, the flight engineer. And I remember at that time sitting on the jump seat, looking down from the side window behind my friend who was the uh, captain on this aircraft and um, thinking, are we moving? And just remember just the airplane gently rolling away. And I just remember all of the, as I thought at the time, the pomp and ceremony with getting this big, you know, hundreds of tons worth of airplane into the air. And that whole thing, I just thought, wow, that was just so impressive. Um, but what I will say is that 
what is evident with the condition that we'll talk about um, was that the ego played a big part of it. And in music, I had a desire to be on stage. So when I saw my friend as the captain of this big aeroplane, I, you know, I was really oblivious to the amount of work that went on for him to become the captain of this aeroplane and what exactly was involved with it all I saw was somebody getting lots of adulation and being in charge and the ego that surrounds that and I thought yeah that'd be kind of cool wouldn't it to be the captain of a big aeroplane um, but actually the more I thought about it and the more I'd spoken to my friend about it the more fascinated I became with the whole experience and I had the opportunity to go to I remember to go to Boston and experience the night stop in Boston and experience going to uh, Barbados so that was uh, really really wonderful and uh, he's very very generous my friend and uh, he's still flying today and uh, you know i'll be forever grateful and i will say he's um, he's a very fine bass player and that's how our family knew him because my uncle steve used to play on cruise ships in a band with uh, with my friends so it was uh, that's how i got into aviation that's what really sort of lit that spark if you like a bit like seeing the video of my uncle carl um in 90 uh, playing at the montreal olympic stadium with emerson lake and palmer that was the, the the moment for me um and i think i've always been quite lucky because i've always known what i've wanted to do you know my brother's totally different to me he's never really known what he wanted to do with his life but I've always known for me I was always be, one of the things I do have I have the ability to be quite decisive so I knew that I wanted to do drumming and then have an experience on the flight deck of that Boeing 747-200 really cemented to me that feeling that yes this is what I want to do. Well, that's brilliant, and thank you, Ian. We'll move on to discussing your career in aviation uh, when we get together uh, next week. Brilliant. Thanks, Nick. Now, if you enjoyed this story, then please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. Plane Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find us at airlinepilotguy.com.